Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marissa Charles. She graduated from the University of North Texas Health Science Center at Fort Worth, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. She did her residency at the Corpus Christi Family Medicine Residency Program at Corpus Christi. She's worked with WellMed at the Ingram location as a PCP since 2015. She's married and a mom. That's true. That's right. And I would think at the top of the list. Being a mom is number one. It's number one, absolutely. Tell me about the little Charles kids running around. I've got two girls. They are 10 and 12, both of them going on like 20. Um, So smart. Um, They've gotten pretty tall over the last couple years, and so they're doing great. Um, Homeschooling with, uh, you know, COVID, we're going to be dealing with that starting pretty soon. I've been happy with summer because it really was stressful trying to do everything with clinic and then making sure they're getting their studies in during um, with all of this with the pandemic. So Sophie's gone to seventh grade and Mia's going to be in fifth. Wow. Yeah. I flunked homeschooling. (laughs) It, It turns out of all, and I've taught, and I love being in the classroom, but homeschooling your own kids they don't respect and listen to you the way they listen to teachers. You're so right. It's true. And actually, it's funny because personalities have a lot to do with it, too. And my older daughter really is, I think, maybe a little more introverted and did fine with the um, education at home. Um, she would get her assignments, work on her assignments, and be done by the week. End cool. of the week. The little one needs a little bit more support. And I think she just really is missing the experience of her friends in the classroom. So. But we've hired... Uh, one of the Animal Heights uh, uh, teachers to tutor as well. If, if they're not, if the kids aren't in her class, she can tutor. So she's coming in uh, twice a week, Spanish speaking. The kids are in Spanish immersion. That's, oh, that's working neat. out much, much better. Wow. Yeah, I think that we're definitely going to need to do something like that um, starting this year. Right. We don't even know, you know, when it's going to be safe enough for kids to start. I know right now they're talking about in-person teaching starting sometime in September, but um, they may push it back depending on how the cases are going here in Texas. Well, my wife and I have decided uh, we're going to be heights at home. And uh, it just because and and this leads into a discussion on uh, COVID-19, which is still out there and growing and killing. Uh, It it is such a high risk for the kids bringing it home. It may not Mm -hmm. be as high a risk for them, although kids get it. Kids do get very sick. And Kids they, die. Yes, it's true. But they can also be carriers. Yeah, and so you have to think about, especially if you've got you know older folks in the home. I'd be one. <laughs> you know, the risk of of getting the transmission from the children is still present, and so, and we've definitely seen cases like that. And many of your patients, Doctor Charles, uh, are not only Medicare eligible seniors; uh, they're grandparents, and many of them are raising. Uh, their grandchildren, if not on a full-time basis, they've been the babysitters for those kids. And now you're mixing those two populations at a time when it's very dangerous. What do you tell your patients? You know, it's a very difficult line because, you know, sometimes they are the primary caregiver for the children when the parents have to work outside of the home. But it does pose a risk. And it's, how do you quarantine? How do you self, you know, 
unless you're going to wear a mask, even then, you know, from a, a small child. And so reducing the volume of people that they're exposed to is really the best thing that you can do, which is going to pose to be a challenge once we have kids back in the schools. And you don't know what the other parents are exposing their kids to, mm-hmm. which is what drives my wife crazy because many of them uh, you'll see in newsletters or in, in comments in, on, on Facebook uh, that, oh, they're traveling here and they're traveling there and uh, they're having the best time, but they're exposing them and their kids uh, to this disease. It's true. So, I mean, we still recommend the same things as far as, you know, sanitizing as best you can, lots of hand washing, um, you know, wearing masks when it's feasible, and then trying to avoid the crowds. Because that's where um, it's the, the amount of time that you spend exposed to somebody who may have the infection and then the proximity in which you're exposed to them. So. Well, we're at a point now, uh, summer winding into August, September, November. Mm-hmm. Don't forget October in between there. <laughs> and Dr. George Rapier, the founder and CEO of WellMed Charitable Foundation, is reminding folks you need the flu shot. So here we are with COVID-19. Uh, I wonder if folks are going to confuse the flu shot with a vaccine for both the flu and COVID-19, because it's only the flu. Correct. Well, there doesn't exist as of yet a coronavirus or COVID-19 vaccine that can be, you know, given to the public. Um, I know there's talk of, you know, options that are being produced all over the, the world really right now that will hopefully offer enough protection with the for the COVID-19. But the flu shots we've had, and we have those. I know there's some, you know, patients that uh, decline or refuse to get the vaccine. But at this time, we are recommending that everybody get the flu vaccine. And the flu vaccine protects you, not necessarily 100%. No, no, it's not 100%. And, and I don't think any vaccine could be. Uh, well, that's not true because, you know, smallpox. But um, with the influenza vaccines, you know, you have to get them every year. Um, it the virus itself changes so much that it's impossible to have a vaccine. For example, like you have your tetanus vaccines that last 10 years. It doesn't work that way with the flu. You have to go ahead and get that every single year. The biggest issue is that we are seeing cases, and we did see cases towards the end of the flu um, season that had both influenza and COVID positive. And so it's not, you know, there's no protection if you have the COVID that you couldn't get the influenza on top of that. So double whammy. Double whammy. So imagine if COVID by itself can cause such severe disease if you had COVID plus influenza on top. It's just too devastating. And yet there are, and we'll get to this in a minute for those who may have just joined us. Let me remind you, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marissa Charles, who is talking today about not only COVID-19, but flu and flu shots. And uh, we'll talk a little more about both. Uh, There are some uh, medications, if you're diagnosed with the flu, that you can take, if you take it pretty quickly, uh, that will slow down the progress of the flu. That's true. Not COVID-19. No, we don't have any antivirals for COVID-19 yet. And what's available for the flu? So the the Tamiflu um, is the the medication that we are able to use to reduce the duration and severity of the flu. It doesn't prevent the flu. Well, you can use it as prophylaxis, and you may have a much milder case um, if you take it early enough. Um, The main thing is you have to start it within the first 72 hours of feeling the illness. Now, we've taken it as a prophylaxis uh, when one of our kids was diagnosed with type A flu. Mm -hmm. Uh, That same day, we got... 
the Tamiflu, we took it, and none of the others in the family, me included, got the flu. Great. And he took it, Kennedy is the one who, who had the flu, and it uh, meant that the, the reaction for him uh, was greatly reduced. He was only really sick for a couple of days. He didn't get high fevers. He was in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the thing is it has to be started pretty early on. So when you start with the fever and with the, you know, body aches, you have to get tested. And if it's positive, then you absolutely should start something like the Tamiflu right away. Now, a phrase we hear all the time, uh, and you can fill it in for us, flu-like symptoms. We're talking about... So we're talking about, well, fever for sure, body aches, fatigue, malaise, um, meaning you just feel rotten. Um, Nausea can, you know, some of the flus can have a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms like nausea and vomiting and diarrhea, Um, often cough, phlegm, you know, sore throat, you know, those are the pretty common flu-like symptoms. And it's usually more than one. It's usually several of those symptoms altogether. And some of those are said to be symptoms for COVID-19. They're very similar, yes. So with the COVID-19, we tend to see a, little, a lot more of the low oxygen levels, the hypoxia, the shortness of breath, um, the cough, the fatigue, the body aches. We've heard of some patients getting pretty severe body aches with the COVID-19. And when you say the, the oxygen level... Uh, when you take that little test, stick your finger in that little clamp in the office, mm-hmm. what should your oxygen be? Ideally, anything above 90 is considered, you know, pretty pretty much normal. Of course, if it's above 95, even better. Um, but we're seeing patients that are in the 80s, um, sometimes even the 70s. Which means? Um, which means that you're not, um, you're, the amount of oxygen that your blood is able to carry is a lot decreased. You're not processing it. And what does that do to us? So again, it can't be good. It can't be good. No, we need oxygen. We need oxygen for normal function, for your brain function, for um, your muscles, for everything to work appropriately. And so people will start to feel, you know, lightheaded, weak, um, short of breath, um, very tired. Mm -hmm. When a patient calls you, uh, one of your patients, or, you know, you're on call that night uh, for your uh, Ingram clinic, Dr. Charles, uh, and they start talking about, symptoms. You at that point are as a physician in a position where you you need to help do sort of an instant quickie diagnosis. Is this COVID-19? Is this the flu? Is this a cold? What helps you make that decision? It's really pretty challenging to differentiate between COVID-19 and the influenza virus. Um, if you have the patient in the clinic, you know, we do have the testing that we have pretty rapid, um, takes about 15 minutes for the flu. I know there are some clinics that are able to provide pretty rapid COVID testing now. I know it's not um, universally available, um, but we're starting hopefully to see that. And of course, that will make it a lot easier um, to triage patients and to be able to get them treated appropriately at the point of care. But Um, At this time, like in our office, we're still doing send-out testing for COVID. But so what we'll often do when a patient comes in and we're having a difficult time differentiating, we'll do the testing for both. If they're testing positive for flu, you know, we can start Tamiflu or an antiviral immediately. um, And then we would have to wait for the COVID test to come back. Once it's back, then, you know, we can direct the patient appropriately at that point. But even then, for milder cases of the COVID-19 
home care is is what is recommended. So just treating the symptoms, you do the Tylenol, the Motrin. Well, Tylenol mostly. Ibuprofen we're recommending a little bit less, um, but if the fevers aren't coming down, that might be necessary. Tylenol versus ibuprofen? There were some initial reports that the ibuprofen may not be a good idea, um, that it may increase the risk of clotting. I know here recently, um, you know, there, the reports are that you use it if you need it, the ibuprofen. And one of uh, uh, your patients, uh, I'm on a blood thinner, as I suspect some of your patients are. They are. Uh, as well. How does that affect what you prescribe? Well, no, um, it really wouldn't change. And actually, patients that are very ill with the coronavirus that end up hospitalized are often started on blood thinners um, to reduce the risk of clotting, because that's one of the reasons that people do end up dying with the COVID is that they will develop a a, a clotting disorder where they will have, you know, um, pulmonary emboli and clots that go into the lungs. Let's talk more about that in just a minute. She's Dr. Marissa Charles. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number, and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. Thank you so much for listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marissa Charles. Dr. Charles is at the Ingram Clinic for WellMed, and we're talking with her today about uh, challenges as a PCP, primary care physician, in diagnosing and managing patients who may come to her. And, of course, uh, the concern at this time is COVID-19, the coronavirus, as well as, as we approach traditional flu season, taking the right steps to uh, protect yourself. Are you seeing patients in your clinic or are you doing most of it now uh, on television? We're doing a little bit of a hybrid, a little bit of both. Um, We've been very lucky to be able to utilize the telemedicine and um, we also have these devices that we call gram pads that we're able to use um, for patients to try to reduce the risk of exposure. And a grandpad is? So it's like a, little, uh, like a little tablet, a little iPad that has the ability to um, give a face-to-face experience, but we'll use them a lot with patients in the car, in the parking lot. So it allows us to communicate with that patient. And because the patient is in the parking lot, um, if the, there's a need, we can run right out and examine the patient. Um, but sometimes we're able to do the majority of the, the interview through the gram pad, which decreases the risk of exposure for those patients. You there in the Chevy Camaro. Hi, I'm your doctor. Pretty much, pretty much. We've got, well, it's different at every clinic, but at Ingram, we've got the parking lot kind of sectioned out. We've got, you know, uh, parking spots labeled and they'll tell us, okay, your patient's in, you know, uh, lane A, parking spot three. And so we'll chit chat with the patient for a little bit over the, the gram pad. 
um, get as much information and history as we can. And then if there's like a, say, a skin lesion or we need to go listen to their lungs, then we gear up in all of our personal protective equipment and run out to see and evaluate the patient. In 100-degree weather. It's hot. It's hot, yes. Because that personal protective equipment looks to me to be very heat conducting. (laughs) You know, um, it it absolutely is a challenge. And I know, so we try to spend as little time outside as we we absolutely need to. But, I mean, that's part of the challenge and, and part of what we're having to do to take care of the patients. How do you decide to bring a patient into the clinic? So some of the patients have a, a difficult time either because of their vision, for example, um, may not be able to perceive the images clearly, um, and so you want to make sure that the patient has a good experience, um, uh, you know, and able to is able to communicate, um, you know, clearly with, with the, the, doctor. the physician. Yes. So if we're not able to communicate the way that we're supposed to, or if we're having technical issues, you know, we had this morning I had one of my little grandpas, oh. the battery just quit. I thought it was charging all weekend, and apparently it wasn't. So. Um, I had to run out and, and check on a patient because of that. So, you know, we experience it's technology, so we're going to have some hiccups along the way. But overall, I think that it's really changed the way that we are able to provide care for the patients in a much more safe environment for them. I've done, uh, I think, three or four now uh, visits over my, uh, I, I use uh, either my laptop or an iPad. <clears throat> and Sitting at home, it's so much easier. It's so nice. Uh, I don't have to go anywhere. She doesn't have to go anywhere. My PCP. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and I remember uh, I had a lesion on an elbow, and I just hold it up to the camera on the uh, PCP. <laughs> and, and she, she was okay, able to evaluate it. Yeah, she could it. evaluate it. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I'd had a leg that was swollen, and I was able to lift that leg up, and uh, she could evaluate how that's doing. And she asked me to press it to see if, I guess, any fingerprints remained when, mm-hmm. when I let go. And that worked out really pretty well. Uh, And for me, uh, because I spend a lot of my time in media anyhow, uh, radio, there's no pictures, but the same idea. Uh, I'm not quite comfortable doing that. And I suspect because so many grandparents have been using FaceTime to talk to grandkids, uh, they're a little better at it than you might expect. Well, you know, that's really the basic technology. Um, Something just like FaceTime is what we're trying to use. Now, we've got different apps and different, um, you know, uh, ways that we can communicate that are safe, you know, where there's less risk of, you know, your medical information, you know, going out into the world. They can have mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If they take the diseases with it, right? That's right. Oh, it'd be nice. So, yeah, no, the telemedicine has also been very helpful, and we have lots of patients that are really taking to it, um, myself included. We've used it with my kids. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we, with their pediatrician? With their pediatrician. Ah. And actually, we had a dermatology appointment through telemedicine at one point, which worked out really well. We took pictures of all whatever Im- needed to be evaluated. We were able to upload them with no problem. So. Yes, I think a lot of specialists in town and and all over the the country, I would suggest, I would imagine, are utilizing that as a as a good option. And it saves time. It really does. It does save time. Patients uh, not hanging out in a waiting room. I hate, I hate the waiting room. Well, the waiting room right now is not a great I know, place now it's to not be. A, yeah, no, no, of course. And of course, you know, we do have our little waiting room set up with the chairs just completely, you know, six feet apart, everything measured out so that there's, and there's very few patients that we even let sit in the waiting room right. unless it's absolutely necessary. But we're, most of our patients, the ones that we do have to bring in, we're shipping them straight into the exam room so that they're isolated there in the exam room. Yeah, they do that at uh, 
Well, in Alamo Heights, where I go, they have a back entrance that you go through, yeah. uh, and you never you really don't see anybody. Right. Well, because that's, that's the issue. That would be the, the more, idea. That would be the idea. I mean, you think about a big clinic like Ingram. We've got so many people, staff, nurses, medical assistants, you know, physicians that are running around back there. Every one of those goes home in the evenings and so and has to come back. So you never know where somebody could have gotten exposed. Of course, we're all wearing masks all day anyway. Right. Um, and trying to protect each other, but and socially distant. We don't eat lunch in the you know meeting rooms anymore. Everybody's off on their own. So, but it's what you got to do. So I do a little informal survey on where you undress when you go home. Uh. <laughs> so many doctors are telling me in the garage. They well, pull in, step out of the car, strip down. Some even have a washer moved into the garage. Oh, that's a good throw idea. the clothes in the washer. They got a rack of clothes in there. Get yeah. dressed, go in the house. Well, you know, because you apparently, you know, it is possible to track it in. You want to make sure you take off your shoes right at the door. Yeah. Um, yes, and scrubs go right into the, the washing machine and straight into the showers the way that it's been going. So, and you're yeah. doing the same thing? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Interesting. For families that are facing the issue, are your kids, because your kids are old enough to understand mm-hmm. uh, the risk, are they worried about mommy? You know, they they haven't really talked too much about being particularly stressed. Of course, it's stressful. You know, I think the biggest thing that, you know, they're feeling is the lack of exposure, not being able to be around, you know, other people their age, their friends. Um, And I think they're really going to miss that, you know, if this year continues to be all at home as well. But I think that given the choice, we'll keep them home. Yeah. The risk is too great. Right now it is. It is. Now, when you think about uh, other issues that, uh, your patients struggle with uh, that require vaccinations, and uh, you can't let up on that. So you get a new patient who comes to you just turned 65, for example. They're mm-hmm. newly enrolled in uh, uh, Medicare and Medicare Advantage, and you want to double-check if they had uh, their uh, vaccines for uh, pneumonia and lung diseases, if they had uh, whatever other vaccines, you're still pursuing those. Of course, of course. No, um, tetanus, for example, because of the pertussis. I mean, all of those other conditions and diseases are still the out there. The whooping cough. The whooping cough, yes. So that one's every 10 years. You want to make sure um, that that one's up to date. The pneumonia vaccines when you turn 65. The shingles vaccinations are also very important. Yeah, I've because um, you know, that's when, like shingles, for example, tends to be an infection that you get when your defenses are down from something else. And when you're stressed. And when you're stressed. So imagine having a, a bout of coronavirus and then you get the shingles, which is a very painful rash on top of that. So I definitely recommend my patients pursue the shingles vaccination as well. And for pneumonia? The pneumonia vaccines, yes. The two you, of them. When you turn 65, yes. There's one question that every patient has asked that almost no patient knows the answer to. Uh, so, Ms. Charles, when was your last tetanus shot? Oh, people, you know, I... Nobody knows. It's hard to remember. It could have been yesterday. Absolutely. And you know what that reminds me? I'm actually due this year. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I, I laugh with some of my patients, but I'll try to recommend, like, this is a great year to get it. If you have no idea, don't remember, because it's 2020. So then every 10 years, you know that it's time to get the next And one. coronavirus. That's a hook. And then, right. So, Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So can you get too many tetanus shots if I had one six years ago? No, no, actually, um, you know, the tetanus vaccine, because of the whooping cough, the pertussis um, is recommended in pregnancies and and it's being done. And I've had patients that had, 
you know, back-to-back pregnancies, you know, every couple of years, and it was still recommended that they receive the tetanus vaccine during really? the vac- during the pregnancy. Yeah, because the uh, whooping cough can pass through the placenta into the fetus. Right, you get some initial protection that is, um, you know, from the mother to the baby. Interesting. Mm-hmm. As you look at the future, uh, are, are you optimistic? Are you seeing a time when uh, whatever was normal becomes somewhat normal again, where you pull up to the clinic, you park your car, you walk in. I'm Ms. Jones. How are you? Come on in. Uh, you see that happening? There's hope. Of course there's hope. I mean, you think about things like the, I mean, there's been influenza pandemics in the past and, you know, that were pretty severe. I mean, 100 years ago, but, you know, there have Yeah, look how many died. Cases. I know. I know. And I don't think I had really realized how many zeros, right. you know, there were really a lot of people that died from that um, Yeah. Spanish influenza in 1918 over the course of two years. And so um, I think once we have, you know, if if hopefully they get a vaccine that is appropriate, that we're able to use um, safely for our patients, um, I think the tide will change. Um, Of course, right now it's still so important that people stay home, that people social distance, that people wear their masks and um, lots of hand washing and making sure that you wash your hands for a good 30 seconds without stopping. All of those things make a difference. And right now, avoiding the virus is probably your best bet. I'm just knocked out by people who still socialize, uh, who still hang out, go to bars, go to events. It's just now it's not it's not the right time. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Charles. Absolutely. Not only our co-host, but our expert today on WellMed Radio for Dr. Marissa Charles. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for talking with us on WellMed Radio at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.